Welcome to the Good Life Agora Hills podcast. Join us each month as we discuss important city projects, programs, and initiatives with the community. We appreciate your support and thank you for tuning in. Welcome, everyone, to the Good Life Agora Hills. Very, very excited to uh, finally be launching this podcast. It's a lo- it's been a long time coming. Um, before we get started with our special guest today, I do want to welcome everyone from the community into our living room. Um, I hope that you enjoy this podcast, and I hope that this is actually the first of many, many more visits from you to really kind of come into uh, the Good Life of Gore Hills to listen to all the latest news, uh, projects, programs, activities um, that we're working on here at the city for you. So, welcome. Um, a good life of Gore Hills. Right now, I'm very excited to welcome our first guest in our inaugural episode one, Ms. Denise Thomas, my colleague and friend, the Community Development Director of Agora Hills. <laughs> Thank you, Ramiro. You, you can clap at home. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Ramiro. All right, well, welcome. And you Denise. at home. <laughs> welcome. Thank you. So today, it's going to be a, it's not only our, our first, we're kicking off our, our first episode, but it's a pretty meaty episode, right? I agree. Um, we've got the general plan update, we've got a housing element, we've got a rezoning program, and a subsequent environmental impact report. That's a whole mouthful. It is. And don't worry people, we're not gonna get into every one of those details, but what we're gonna do is I'd like to kind of, you know, just talk about the basis of kind of why we're here today, and then actually get into the questions that are most important to the community. So. The way I understand it is what we're really talking about right now is I think it's important to uh, bring light to the housing element and the fact that every years, every eight years, the city is required to look at the housing element and provide an update that ensures that in the plan, that we have a plan to account for a certain number of housing units that the state determines for us that we need to plan for. Not build, but we have to plan for it. We're not builders, we're planners. and so. Because of that, we're in a situation right now where we're in that next eight-year cycle, and we spent a lot of time, you've spent a lot of time, you and your amazing team, shout out to planning, um, you and your amazing team have spent a lot of time uh, working on the various documents that we mentioned. Um, so what I'd like to do is kind of start with the number 318. Sure. I think the community, they hear 318 units, and even though that might create some anxiety for some folks in the community, I think it's safe to say that 318 units doesn't create as much anxiety as the number of 1,500 plus or even 2,000 plus units. So I kind of want to start there so that we can provide some, I think, needed knowledge and some clarification even um, as to why we're looking at numbers that we have to plan for in the amounts of 1,500 and of course 2,000 plus units. Sure thing. So um, thank you for having me this morning. I appreciate an opportunity to be able to share what we've been working on and what I know with the public. And I hope that the information we're able to provide will allow people to participate in this process in a meaningful way. So essentially the state determines what our fair share of housing is for for our city. And the number 318 is an increase. It's more than doubled since cycles passed. And we do not have enough zoning to accommodate 318, 318 units that are affordable. And many people will ask, well, what does affordable mean? What is that? Well, the state has determined that there are different affordability categories. So there's um, very low, 
there's low, and there's moderate. Those are the affordability categories that we have to plan for. It is very rare, if not impossible, to get someone in our city to develop a 100% affordable project. And we know that because we haven't done that in cycles past. We've never done a 100% affordable project. And so we can't just plan for 318 because we will fall short. So we have to look at other ways to incentivize the production of these units. And the way that we've chosen to do it is if we can up zone property, if we can add um, inducements that a private property owner would find enticing so that they deliver us the units, then we may actually reach our affordable housing goal, which is 318 units. So we have to provide 126 very low units, which is generally 50% or below whatever the median income is for LA County. And that is, um, that's a challenge. And that's the one that we struggle with the most. We usually don't have a problem with above moderate units because those are market rate or close to market rate, but the very low is, is where we struggle and where we haven't, we haven't been able to show any units or any movement. And then low, low would be somewhere between 50% and 80% of the area median income to get those units. So there's 126 uh, very low and 72 low. So we are really targeting those units. We need to get those units. In addition to the 318, we have to have a buffer. So essentially it's, we have used our professional expertise and technical um, support to determine what is a realistic number that you can get on each of the individual sites. And, uh, if we fall short of those units, we have to make them up someplace else. And rather than doing that on the fly in an ad hoc manner, what we've chosen to do is to create a buffer. We've chosen to do it, but HCD, which is the uh, California Department of Housing and Community Development. That's a state agency. That's a state agency. It's yeah, so the state agency. That's responsible for making sure that housing is provided and that the state laws are, are followed. Okay. They require you to have a buffer because otherwise you have to rezone property on the fly and, and you may not reach arena. And so in order to have the buffer, the units and um, have an opportunity to give incentives to build these units, we have to look at more than the 318. Okay. So we, our estimate is the 1500, 1700 number that you hear tossed about in the community and on social media. We believe that if we can provide 15 to seven, capacity for 15 to 1700 units, then we should be able to realize the 318 units that have been assigned okay. to us. So if I can stop you. So the, so what I'm understanding is the 318 units, you got to kind of look at that number as, because like you mentioned, we haven't had developers come in and, and really put forward hundred uh, percent developments. And so the 318 is really a fraction of a number. Correct. And so that's why when you look at the 318, it's really important that we look at, that has to be a fraction of a larger number. Correct. And so you're saying that larger number is where you start hearing the numbers of 1500, 1700, 2000, things like that. Correct. Okay. So, well, yeah. 1500, the 2000 okay. number is different. And, and I can explain that if you Yeah, want. yeah, if you could, if you could sure. maybe, yeah. Okay. So the, the 2000 is actually in excess of 2000. It's like closer to 2400 okay. units that people hear, which causes a lot of pause. And I get that. It's because 
We have chosen to do an environmental report that requires us to analyze absolute worst case, not what we estimated, not what our professional experience and expertise tells us is realistic, but what is possible. It's a strict math exercise. If you have 10 units and you have 20 dwelling units an acre, it yields a number. That's, that's what the big 2300 number that people are seeing that is giving them, that is upsetting them. Okay. So an, an, an example would be one of the sites, one of the shopping centers that we have in our, in our inventory is intended to yield a total of 67 residential units. It's a mixed use development. It's intended to yield a total of, seven, of 67 units. Of those 67 units, 14 will be affordable. And that's what we told um, HCD we think is realistic at that location. But in order to, in order to analyze the total possible impact, worst case mm -hmm. impact to that property, sure. we told, we looked at if everything on this site developed with housing and you have 200 units on this site plus the, um, the amount of commercial that would be allowed to remain or has to remain, what does that do to our systems, to our infrastructure, to the environment? And so we analyze worst case, but we really only are looking to realize 67 units at that location. So it. while 200 is the number that we are required by law to analyze, 67 is really more realistic about what okay. you will see at that location. So let me, just to, just to clarify, just to make sure I'm understanding it right, and hopefully just to make sure you're understanding it right, because um, it's a lot. Um, so we have the 318, we have a couple of things going on that requires us to look at some of these numbers we're talking about, right? The larger numbers. We've got the 1700 number, which is that um, is taking into account what the state has said you have to, because you have to meet the production of, or, or plan for the production of this many units, there's a number there that we have to figure out and account for. And then there's another analysis that has to take place that looks at the environmental impact of which assumes worst case scenario correct. so we have to do both of those exercises and that's why we have two different numbers correct okay three but yes three okay so let me let me go into this um so now that we've established the number of units i think what's equally important now is that we understand we have all of these units but i think from what i've heard in um, in listening to you in the past speak on this is that yes you have to plan for the units but then you also can't just centralize all the units in one spot that's that you correct. have to move them around, which is why you created or, you, you know, you, you had to plan for a housing site inventory that you put together, which has 20 opportunity sites. We'll just call them 20 sites. Um, so can you briefly talk to how that comes to be now that you had your number and then how the process kind of then developed into these sites that you're now proposing? Sure. Um, history shows us that concentrating uh, low income families in one location is not a sustainable model. It's not good for the community. It's not good for the families that live there and it creates multi-generational harm. And so for that reason, the um, goal is to spread income categories to spread in low income housing, moderate income housing, and market rate income housing to filter them together so that they can exist everywhere. So your neighbor may have a low income unit, but you shouldn't know that your neighbor has a low income unit. And by spreading these units throughout, throughout okay. developments in the city, so if you're doing a market rate unit, you have some units that are not market rate, it creates an opportunity where those families can 
can blend into the community, blend into the fabric of Agora Hills and enjoy all the amenities that Agora Hills has to offer without being stigmatized or ostracized to one location. And so in the development, we have to do 318. If you put all 318 in one location, then everyone knows, oh, that's our low income development. And it shouldn't be that way. They should, they should have the same right to privacy that anyone else has. I don't know what you paid for your house or what yeah. if you rent, what you pay for rent. And that's, that's how it should be. It provides right. dignity. It provides some sort of safety for you and your family. And so by spreading these units out throughout the okay. community, you're providing that same level of dignity, that same level of safety for them and their families. Perfect. I think I, I appreciate you going into detail on that. I, I think that makes it a lot clearer for me and hopefully for a lot of our viewers, because um, I think that's a critical point. What I'd like to do is, as you know, we mentioned there's 20 sites and um, we could go here and sit all day talking about each site, but we, we're not going to do that. So um, we're going to get to the elephant in the room. And I think it's the, the subject that um, I know I've read about and I know you, you deal with it on, a, on basically a daily basis. Um, and we're just going to get right into it. So I think the, the three shopping centers, um, we're talking about Canaan Road, Thousand Oaks Boulevard, one of the major, uh, the intersection of two of the major arterials in our city. Um, you've got commercial developments, obviously, um, in that area. You've got housing developments in that area. And now we're providing or we're proposing more housing in that, in that location. Um, there's been a lot of questions that I know you've, you've heard about uh, of concerned residents and folks about why those three locations. Can, can you maybe talk to, to why those three locations are, are on the current list? Sure. I think the best way to explain um, why those three units are on the list is to take a, take a look at the housing sites inventory in general. So we have not been successful achieving our RENA in past cycles. And because of that, and based on our city size, um, the Department of Housing and Community Development has assigned us a default density of 20 to 25 dwelling units an acre. So any housing element that we are proposing has to show a density of 20 to 25 dwelling units an acre for the sites on our housing sites inventory. And that is an increase in density overall from what we have done in the past. In past cycles, we had a much lower number and it could all be accommodated in the Agora Village specific plan area, which is the undeveloped, mm -hmm. partially developed um, specific plan area right. over here near Canaan and Agora Roads right. at the foot of Ladyface. In the past years, we were able to say, yes, we have more than enough zoning over there, we'll achieve it, and HCD was satisfied. But we haven't provided those units. We didn't provide them the last cycle and we didn't provide them the cycle before. And every cycle is eight years. So we have a 16 year track record of not providing our affordable housing at the rate that we've been assigned. And so this year we had more units to, um, to bring to market or provide for and a default density of 20 to 25 dwelling units okay. in acre. So most of the city, in case you don't know, is in the very high fire severity zone. Mm -hmm. So when we brought all of the sites, we curated a list of sites that we thought would be palatable to the community and palatable to the decision makers. And we brought that list forward. And we were told, no, we want you to take a look at other, at other sites. We wanna see everything. And we want you to have a public workshop so that the public can weigh in. So we had the public workshop, we televised it and streamed it live on our, well, we didn't televise it, we streamed it on our YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. And what we found was um, 
there was an appetite for those three sites. Initially, we had not included those three sites. And what most people may not know is that those three sites already have residential development potential. They mm -hmm. are already zoned to accommodate some level mm -hmm. of residential housing. What we, what we heard from the city council was, we will add those three shopping centers because they're some, it's some of the only property that's not in the very high fire severity zone. And if we do that, we can take very sensitive sites that we had on the inventory off the inventory, which we were able to do. And we could lower the density in the AVSP, which is the Agora Village specific plan area that I discussed. We could lower that from 25 to 30 dwelling units an acre down to the default density of 20 to 25 mm -hmm. dwelling units an Can acre. Can I pause there just for a second? Because you said something that I think is a really key detail that I want to make sure everyone understands. So when you talk about, you know, obviously our residents and our community um, value every inch of, of our beautiful city. Um, a lot of that is um, kind of nestled in the foothills of the Santa Monica Mountains. And, um, and so when we're considering some of these sites and we looked at the densities that we need in order to achieve compliance, we get put in a position where there's a little give and take throughout the city, right? I mean, um, you're going to have some folks that unfortunately are maybe not going to be so happy with where some of these some of these units are planned, but there's that there's a there's a trade-off. And that trade-off, one of the trade-offs, is that you get to have some of the sites that are in the high fire hazard severity zones, some of those sites that have mature oak trees and, and you know some of those sites that people have come to love that are just open and, and you know filled with nature. And some of those get to be preserved at the consequence of maybe moving some of these units around. I mean, was that a fair statement? That is a fair statement. And if you were to uh, take a look at where we are today versus where we began, okay. we've achieved that. Okay. And we've managed to disperse our affordable housing throughout the city. So we have, we have sites north of the highway. We have sites south of the highway. We have sites east of Canaan and Agora Road intersection. We have sites west of that. We have sites that are um, north and south of the Canaan TO intersection. And so we've done a very good job of spreading out the, um, the affordable housing throughout the city. And as a result, the affirmatively furthering fair housing requirement, which is a state law that says you can't concentrate your housing, your affordable housing in one location. It has to be spread out. It has to be, it has to be similar to the market rate units. We, we are able to achieve that. And we received um, preliminary approval for the sites that we've chosen from HCD. They okay. said, this is good. And so the, original um, draft housing element we submitted, they rejected it. They said it was inconsistent with state law. The second draft that we submitted, they denied it too and said it was inconsistent with state law. But we've been working with them, okay, on ways to get it compliant okay. because the goal of this whole exercise is to get a certified housing element for this cycle, which is cycle six. Okay. Uh, thank you for, for shedding light on that because I think it's really important that we all understand that it's been an iterative process. It hasn't been something that, you know, was just kind of grabbed out of thin air, that there have been, you know, proposals made um, and then rejected and then rejected again. And, and so we continue to try and um, gain compliance while also keeping in mind that whatever plan we end up with at the forefront of our minds is trying to do what's best for our community. And it sounds like you and your team have, have tried to do that the whole way. So Absolutely. we appreciate that. So the three shopping centers. Um, you know, I think because we're talking about, you know, it's been such a, a, a widely talked about topic in our city. Um, 
I guess the next question is just really what can be done, right? I, I think that we can talk here about why uh, you know the numbers are what they are, but at the end of the day, I think people are are asking the question: Is there anything that we can do um, to be able to either are there any other options, any other stones that are unturned? So, as an example, uh, you know, could you uh, remove a site? Could we remove two sites and possibly still meet, meet compliance? Could we look at other sites, maybe vacant office spaces or business parks? Um, you know, is there any stone that we have not? turned over yet. Um, or here's another one, I mean density as an example. Uh, you know, there are, there's a, a density that you've talked about kind of spread out throughout the sites. Can we increase other densities in order to decrease the densities that we would allow on these sites? Um, how, how, what are the options, if any? We have options, but there are consequences associated okay. with options. Okay. So the plan that we have in place, if we kept the curated list that the council approved in the fall, the one that we analyzed in our environmental document, and we forward and the one that HCD has already reviewed twice and we've attempted to perfect. And we, I'm sorry, HCD again, that's a state. That's the yes, state, that's right? the okay. state's Department of okay. Housing and Community Development. If we stay with that approach, with those documents, with, with that decision, mm -hmm. then it is our best op opportunity to reach the um the deadline okay. to make the deadline so by october 15th we have to have our rezoning mm. program adopted so if we stay the course um we are working very hard to be able to meet that deadline if we wanted to make changes for instance some changes can be made at the margins and i'll talk about those in a minute but the things that you would that would require a review and we would have to get to the back of the hcd line would be if the sites that we're proposing changed if the sites came off the mm. inventory um hcd would need a whole new review because that's considered major okay. um if the and we would not only have to go through the basic housing element are you compliant with the housing laws review we'd have to look at are you still further affirmatively furthering fair housing so we would have okay. to go through that review all over again which we've completed it with the list we have if you wanted to add other sites that could be developed, that's fine as long as they meet the state's criteria. So the state oh. has a guidebook. It's a very detailed guidebook. It's on their website and you're welcome to look at it. It's hard um, to, it's a puzzle. So you look at the guidelines and what they will accept. If you accept, if you offer sites that are compliant with their guidelines, then they don't challenge it too much. They don't require you to do a whole lot of extra analysis. If you choose a site that is contrary to their guidelines, then you have you bear the burden of showing that those sites can be developed the way that you say they can be developed. So for instance, if we were to use some of the some of the vacant office buildings, mm -hmm. those office buildings don't meet the state's criteria. So we would have to pause do a fiscal analysis on our own dime, figure out whether or not they can develop, and then submit that fiscal analysis along with the new sites to HCD for them to review. And they may or may not agree at the end. We, they may still say no, right. but that's the that's the pathway you would sure. take to but do then, that. But then your deadline's in jeopardy. And you've missed the deadline. Okay. So you're at the back of the line at that okay. point. Okay. But things that you can change, so I presented our plan um, the plan that we analyzed, the plan that we were putting forward, which showed four-story buildings for all of the sites in the in the affordable housing overlay district. Um, that was the uh, the max height is four stories. 
I heard from the city council that four stories is should be off the table. Okay. And so since the joint meeting, I've worked with our consultants. I've worked with our housing consultant who was in direct communication with HCD. And I, I had them ask HCD if we can reduce the mat, reduce the height from four stories down to three no. and keep 60% okay. lot coverage. HCD said that would not stop us. So when we take it back to the city council, we will offer up three stories to go to HCD instead of four because this isn't the planning department's um, plan. This isn't the community development plan. This is the city of Agora Hills plan. Everyone should understand what's in it and be happy with what's in it or as happy as you can be. Not everyone's going to be 100% right. happy, but we'll do the best that we can to make as many people happy and can as we, we all, can. And can we all agree that we're much happier hearing three stories instead of four, right? I mean, that's a step in the right direction. Denise and her team always working for you. So, all right. <laughs> yeah. We, and the one other thing yeah. that we heard was oak trees. Oak trees are Oak trees define the city. It's in mm -hmm. the logo. Mm -hmm. It defines our city. And we were doing one-to-one -one mitigation. We were offering up one-to-one -one mitigation because having constraints to the provision of affordable housing is contrary to state law. And some of our oak trees are very mature and it's difficult to mitigate on site. But we heard from the city council that that's that may not be good enough. Okay. We, we need to do better. So staff is in the process of surveying those uh, sites to determine where and how many oak trees are there. And then we're gonna propose a different mitigation that would allow a graduated mitigation so that our largest trees may be preserved on site. And if they have to be removed, you would mitigate four to one, or you would pay a, an you could pay an in lieu fee. But for the younger trees or the smaller trees, mm. what you would do is mitigate either one to one or two to one. Okay. So we're still working to try and sort that out so that we can we can come to we can meet people where they want to be as much as we can. I can't promise yeah. HCD will say yes to those, but we feel pretty confident that we can get it done and we're gonna we're gonna push for it. Okay. No, I think that's great too that your team continues to you know, strive for what we know is important in our community. So um, I want to move on to um, this next topic, the environmental document. Um, it has a more technical term, but we'll call it for the environmental document. So it's it, for understanding sake, 1400 pages. So let's see page one. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No. So actually what I, what the only, the only question I have on the environmental document is this. Um, there is a, a comment period that we're currently in at some point in time, the document will the document along with the, some other things will need to come before our city council and they will be tasked with being able to certify the environmental document in order to make the call as to whether or not it's adequate um, that term of adequacy uh, kind of you know that that seems to people have different definitions i think in their own minds of what that means but i think that there's a more formal definition of what adequacy means in the in the way that the state interprets adequacy so could you touch on that so just for that the public would know um, what adequacy is more formally defined as. Sure. Prior to drafting the subsequent environmental impact report, SEIR, or go. the, uh, we'll just call it the environmental document. So prior to drafting that document, we did a scoping meeting. And the scoping meeting was done, it was a public hearing, and we presented all of the uh, changes that we were all of the areas that we were going to look at based on the changes that we were making. And we did that in a public forum and we accepted comment from the public. We did what is required by state law 
as part of our analysis, but we also did a level of service study, which is not required by state law because level of service is not part of CEQA any longer. Okay. They use a different metric to determine whether or not. And sorry, CEQA, California Environmental it, Quality Act. So when she says CEQA, that's what she's talking about. It's the it's the body of environmental laws and guidelines that we have to use when we're determining whether or not the development that you want okay. to do has an impact on the environment. And so it lays out in great detail guidelines for how you should treat different situations. And so we had the scoping meeting, we received feedback, we determined that we were going to analyze the things that are in the 1400 pages, and we were gonna do a level of service analysis just to see what our infrastructure could bear and what it couldn't bear and to make decisions on what our capital improvements should be moving forward to accommodate the new population. So we did that and it is now currently open for public comment and the public comment period ends on June 20th. So if you're interested in submitting comments, please do so. You can do that. Um, it tells you precisely how to do it on our website. And if you have any questions, please call Jessica Clevenger here at the city. And so when that public comment period ends, we will respond to all the comments and we will compile them and begin writing. I've already begun writing the general plan staff mm -hmm. report and the public mm -hmm. comments will be part of that staff report. Okay. But what we will be asking the city council to do is to determine whether or not the document is adequate. Okay. So what is adequacy? Essentially, we studied what we said we were going to study and that we have technical reports to back up the assertions that we're making and that it is it is a, by substantial evidence. So okay. what that means is we have to show substantial evidence that an impact is an impact or is not an impact. We're not allowed to just mm. say, well, we feel like it's an impact. No, we have to have some basis for making that determination. And if we believe it's an impact, it doesn't mean you can't move forward. It just means you have to come up with a way to mitigate or lessen that impact so that it, it, it fits in state law and it fits within the community maybe just a little bit better. Okay. So there will be instances, it is entirely possible for the city council to determine that the document is adequate but not agree with the technical analysis. Okay. And the way to litigate that is actually in the courts. Got it. So okay. if you are sitting at home and you're like, no, I believe this is an impact, the recourse you would have is not to determine that the document is inadequate because the um, analysis shows that it is adequate. Okay. The answer is my expert says that your expert is incorrect and that needs to be litigated in the courts, not by the, not okay. by the city council. Okay, thank you. That's, a, that's an important detail. Um, all right, so you know, I, I think what I'd like to do is, is uh, I know that there are some milestones or some important dates coming up. Um, if you can maybe kind of just talk us through uh, what the community should maybe look on the horizon. Um, you mentioned the June 20th date, but are there any other touch points that they should be aware of maybe in the future where they can um, have their voices heard? Maybe walk us through a couple of the milestones and dates that they should be looking out for. Sure thing. We can accept comments right up until the day of the hearing, both hearings, and even after the Planning Commission hearing. Okay. Once the City Council has ruled, then the public comment any comment that you would want to submit, it, it would be too late for that. So you have all the way up until that date. But the next milestone is that on June 20th, the, um, the review and comment period ends for the environmental document. So get your comments in before June 20th. The um, June 23rd, we're having a land use and economic development mm -hmm. committee meeting, which you can watch on Zoom. 
and you can you can there's a period during that where you can ask questions okay. um, your questions may not be answered on the call but we'll take the questions and we'll follow up okay. with you and then after the uh, land use and economic development subcommittee meeting the item is due to be on the Planning Commission's agenda on July 21st. Okay. The staff report will be available for the public to take and review 72 hours prior to the hearing, but we gen that's law, 72 hours prior, but we generally get it up about the Friday before the meeting. Planning Commission meetings are on Thursdays. So we usually give you almost a week to review okay. it. It should be a pretty lengthy uh, staff report given the volume of asks that we have of the elected and appointed officials, but it, I would read it. And if you want to understand the environmental document, but you do not want to read 1400 pages, all you have to do is read the executive summary. The executive okay. summary are fewer pages. If you want to understand the project, read the project description. It's 47 pages long, but it's not 1400 pages long. Okay. So it's it's definitely doable. And then after the planning commission meeting, assuming that they make a recommendation to the city council, we will have our first read of this item and the whole item will be before the city council on August, the first meeting in August, August the 10th. And then on August the 24th, we have the second read, which would be on consent, and then all the new regulations will be okay. effective in September. Okay. So we will, if that works, yeah. if it works, we meet the state's um, statutory deadline and we should not be on the naughty list. Okay. Well, listen, you know, I, I want to thank you very much for all that information. It's, it's encouraging, I would think, and I think the community would, would hopefully um, join me in this and in being appreciative that, you know, there, there are additional touch points for them. Um, and then also for your recommendations on how to tackle all this information. And then obviously, I know you, but the community should also know that you and your team are more than welcome, welcoming of the community to come in, ask questions, get clarifications, anything that they need help or assistance with, you and your team are available. Um, Absolutely. I would encourage anyone that is watching this podcast, anyone that has knowledge of the podcast, share the information with your neighbors, with your friends, with everyone, and ask them to ask their questions. We are trying very, very hard to meet the statutory deadline, and it is. A, we want you to understand what it is we're proposing and we want to be able to give you whatever information you need so that you understand the process. You may not like what we're being required to do. There are things that we're being asked to do that we don't we don't necessarily like, but it is the law and we have no choice. And so we're doing the best that we can, but we do want to hear from you because you may think it's something that can't be done, but we're pretty creative. We'll look at it and we'll see if there's a way to integrate what you're asking for into our proposal. As long as it doesn't slow us down and it's possible, we will, we will do our best to make it happen. And if we go ahead and adopt the, um, adopt it the way that it is, mm -hmm. but the city council decides, you know what, that's that's not working for us and we want to make amendments. It's not set in stone. You can mm -hmm. adopt it. Okay. You can adopt an amendment. You can look at, a, at an amendment to it and we can go through that process. We just can't go through that process before we, um, we get adopted. All right. And with that, there you have it, folks. I want to sincerely thank you, Denise Thomas, for taking the time to come and be on our show. I want to thank all the viewers at home for tuning in to the first of many podcasts that you'll be here with us. I wanna thank the amazing crew that we have for making this podcast happen. And my last and, for last and foremost, I wanna thank you, the viewers, because you're the ones that make this happen. So we'll see you next time. And until we do, 
Keep living the good, the good life. life in Agora, Agora Hills. Hills. Take care. <laughs>